0: Why is there something rather than nothing? Is it possible that our universe and everything in it just exists for no reason? Is there any good logical reason to believe that God exists? My name is Kyle Keltz and in this episode we are going to be answering these questions by surveying several theistic, philosophical arguments for God's existence. Namely, we are going to be discussing cosmological arguments and briefly explaining how they conclude that God must exist for the universe to exist. If you aren't familiar with cosmological arguments, I hope you'll stick around and enjoy these answers. Welcome back. Uh, we're going to be talking about cosmological arguments in this video uh, podcast, uh, whichever one you're listening to. And, uh, you know, we're, we're moving on from talking about truth, uh, why it's objective. And as we talked about in the apologetic method uh, portion, you know, you, when you're doing this classical apologetic method, if, uh, you know, you, first you defend objective truth, then you move on to the existence of God that, uh, that you use uh, philosophy to defend and other things, and then you move on to defend the uh, truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ when you are doing Christian apologetics. Well, um, we already talked about how you would defend the existence of objective truth, and in this portion we're moving on Um, to start talking about how uh, we would defend the existence of God. Uh, There's many ways to do it. Um, And over the next handful of videos, we're going to be talking about uh, different philosophical arguments for God's existence. We're going to start with these cosmological arguments, then we're going to move on to design arguments. We'll talk about the moral argument And uh, and there's a lot of things to be talking about in all these. So we're really we're going to the second step now, God's existence, and in this video, it's it's an introductory video to cosmological arguments. So um, it's it's very introductory. By the way, um, there's a lot more to uh, these arguments, but I'm just going to be introducing them to you so you know kind of how far back they go in the history of Christianity, and just to give you an idea that these are there. Uh, and in the next video, uh, in the next uh, lecture, I'm going to be talking about a specific cosmological argument, and I'll actually walk you through all the steps, show you how it's, it's defended, and, and maybe talk about some objections and things like that. So in, in this one, um, you know, the uh, verse that we use for this one is from John, uh, the Gospel of John, I, this is one of my favorites, um, or do, I might say that on, on everyone, <laughs> but as when I'm thinking about cosmological arguments, this is a, a verse that sticks out to me, and it's, it's John 1, uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And this is really, you know, just a great verse when you're thinking about cosmological arguments, the beginning of all time and space. Um, one thing I've always liked about this verse is it's, it's an interesting kind of uh, pointer to the Trinity. Uh, in verse 1, it's talking about how the Word uh, which we understand to be the second person of the Trinity, is with God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, in the beginning, creating all things. In verse 3, it says, all things were made through him. So, this is just interesting. It, it really does uh, point to kind of a creation ex nihilo. Uh, before time and space, you know, and, and you it doesn't even make sense to say before time began, right? Because there wouldn't be a time before that. But anyways, that's just kind of how you have to talk about it. Uh, without time and space, God existed, uh, and, and the Word existed, uh, and the Word is God, right? So um, this is just a really interesting passage. John is one of the more philosophical-sounding um, uh, apostles, But, um, so yeah, if you are enjoying kind of, uh, doing these questions for reflection, I did have a few to be thinking about as we talk about cosmological arguments. The first is, have you ever thought of the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Um, you know, as we go throughout our busy lives, I think a lot of people might not think about this, but, but have you ever just sat there and thought like, why does the world exist and why is it the way it is, uh? It just seems really easy to think, you know, it could have been a different way, or maybe even think of the fact that nothing could be here at all. Um, So, yeah, that's one question. Uh, Have you ever thought of that question? Why is there something rather than nothing? Do you think it is reasonable to believe the universe lacks an external cause? Why or why not? And the last one is, do cosmological arguments assume or state that everything has a cause? That's an important one, and I'm going to try to remind us of that last reflection question whenever I repeat them at the end. Okay, so, but let's talk about this. So, what we're saying is we're about to start talking about the second step in Christian apologetics, which is to defend the existence of God. If you remember, we talked about the three-step method. You meet someone where they're at. If they already believe in objective truth, you don't have to defend objective truth if someone already believes it exists. If they think that God exists already, they just don't, uh, they're just not, they've never heard of Jesus, or they've never heard that there's evidence for Jesus' life, If they already think God exists, you don't have to do that. But um, if they didn't think God exists, uh, or you've uh, at least talked them into objective truth, then you move into step two, and you try to give them reasons to believe that there is a creator and sustainer of the universe. And that's what what cosmological arguments do. That's what all these uh, step two arguments are going to be doing. Moral argument, cosmological argument, design arguments. Some of these will work with some people, or 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 some of these will hit home with some people more than others. Okay, and for some people, maybe one of these will be just good enough for for um, to get them closer to be thinking that God does exist. For some people, maybe you'll just need to talk about all these different types and kind of make a cumulative case. Uh, but but regardless, that's what we're going to be talking about in this video and the next video. So uh, when we say cosmological argument, what are we talking about? Well. This uh, obviously the word cosmological comes um, from the Greek root uh, cosmos, and cosmos uh, means order or uh, world basically, universe. Right? So, um, a cosmological argument is an argument that is um, trying to show that God exists uh, by pointing to the world. In some way, Um, you know, a lot of these do that. But specifically, cosmological arguments, oftentimes, as you can see from the definition we're using, uh, the definition I've got here says an argument for God's existence based on the contingency of the world, right? Uh, And that's what cosmological arguments usually do. They'll point to the universe as a whole and 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 just make the observation that it seems like everything in the universe, including the universe itself, is contingent. And if that's so, it, it seems like there needs to be some kind of necessary cause or some kind of cause outside the universe that, that, that maybe caused it to begin and or is sustaining it in existence at every moment it exists. Um, and, and that's what these arguments usually do. So, yeah, if you've ever asked the question, why is there something rather than nothing? A cosmological argument is a line of philosophical reasoning that tries to uh, give an answer to that. Um, and and like we said, usually these arguments are concluding that there must be some uh, immaterial, powerful, personal being outside the universe who caused it to begin. And, and that's what I'll be showing you kind of... Uh, Giving you uh, an intro into this type of thinking and these types of arguments if you haven't already heard of these before. So, uh, three major ones that I like to emphasize are uh, Al Ghazali's Kalam cosmological argument, Thomas Aquinas's five ways, and Gottfried Leibniz's Leibnizian cosmological argument, also known as the argument from contingency. Uh, So, that's what I'm going to be talking about in this video. Um, I'm, I, and like I said, I'm just kind of introducing you to these. So I'm just going to say just a few words about each, especially I'm going to be brief with the Kalam argument, because that's going to be the focus of the next lecture and the next, um, video podcast. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Kalam cosmological argument. I'm going to break down, um, the premises, the conclusion, and I'm going to show how it's defended. Maybe even talk about some objections and some answers to the objections. So, uh, so I'm not going to say much about it here. Uh, the Kalam argument, um, it, its its current form, that's defended uh, today, and it, it, the the form that's most popular uh, was inspired, uh, and and this whole line of reasoning, really, the the, the Kalam uh, formulation, is inspired by a uh, Persian Muslim uh, f- a theologian uh, philosopher mystic and law expert um, al-ghazali he's he actually has a, a lo- much longer name uh, it's uh, Abu Hamid Muhammad ibn Muhammad Atusi al-ghazali but anyways they know him as al-ghazali and and uh, he formulated this argument at a time when the Muslim world was being influenced by the philosophy of Aristotle and other Greeks. Uh, if you are familiar with ancient Greek philosophy, they, the ancient Greeks usually didn't believe that the world began. They thought if something existed now, uh, then the world must have always existed because, uh, they had issues with the idea of something coming from nothing. So, um, at, at the, at, during Al-Ghazali's time, uh, the Muslim, some Muslims or philosophers were starting to think that maybe the world was eternal, but uh, Ghazali took issue with that because it's against Muslim teaching that the world had a beginning um, from Allah. So Al-Ghazali wrote a work called The Incoherence of the Philosophers, in which he argued that there must be a beginning to the universe, okay? And in that work, there was an argument uh, that wasn't formulated exactly like this, but this it. Uh, Al-Ghazali's the way he talked about it um, inspired this, and and I have this uh, formulation of the argument is basically how William Lane Craig uh, defends it today. Um, so as you see here, it's a it's a very simple logical argument. It says whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. Okay. Like I said, I'm not going to talk about it too much because we're going to have a whole video on it next time, a whole talk on it. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. I just do want to note, and I'll note then as well, that uh, it's not saying that everything that exists has a cause. It's saying whatever begins to exist. So, um, You'll see how it's defended next time, but it's saying if something begins to exist, it must have a cause outside itself, basically, right? Uh, you can't cause yourself to exist. If you don't exist, you can't cause yourself to exist because you don't exist, right? So if you began to exist, then you need a, a, a cause outside yourself uh, for you to begin. And number two is the universe began to exist, and the conclusion is, therefore, the universe has a cause outside itself. Um, it's, it looks really simple. If you're not familiar with it, um you might be surprised, you know, uh, the conclusion, therefore the universe has a cause, doesn't look like much. It doesn't look like it's proving that God exists. But you'll see, actually, uh, after, you've de- after uh, the theist defends uh, premise one and two, when you get to the conclusion, you kind of backtrack and you ask yourself, okay, how did we reach this conclusion? And there's a handful of things that happened in the reasoning that show that the cause must be immaterial, spaceless, timeless, personal, and unimaginably powerful. So so the cause that you've reasoned to sounds a lot like God when you start thinking about what it must be like. So it's a really interesting argument. Um, it basically reasons to God's existence based on uh, the beginning of the universe. And it uses science. It uses philosophy. It's really fun. It's, it's one of my favorites because it's... Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's really short. You see there, it's easy to remember. It's, uh, it's, I think it's easy to explain to people. So that's one of the reasons why I like to just, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm going to have a whole video on it. Right. Um, another, um, another famous cosmological argument, I say cosmological argument, it's actually, um, several cosmological arguments comes from Thomas Aquinas, the medieval philosopher theologian, who's Roman Catholic Italian uh, philosopher in medieval times, he actually so um, he's come up with a handful of cosmological arguments uh, known as his five ways that he lists in his work, the Summa Theologica. Um, in in very brief form, it's actually uh, kind of tragic. What happens today is you'll see. People will list his brief summaries of his five ways, uh, kind of taken out of context. And when you look at the summary of these arguments, um, they look really simple and, and like he didn't know what he was talking about. But if you fu- if you fully understand his his uh, metaphysical reasoning, you know, his philosophical view of how the world works and causality, and you understand what he's saying, these are actually really powerful philosophical arguments for the existence of God. Um uh, but they're just r- uh, often misunderstood because he is his he's presupposing so much when he lists those summaries of his arguments. But anyways, uh, yeah, they're called the five ways. There's the first, second, you know, third, fourth, fifth way. The first three specifically are definitely um, cosmological arguments. He he points to uh, certain types of causality in the universe, and he basically the interesting thing about his five ways. So the Kalam argument from Al-Ghazali is, I've heard some people call it a horizontal argument because it argues that God must exist because uh, there had to be something to cause the beginning of the universe. The interesting thing about Aquinas' five ways is some people have called them vertical arguments. Aquinas' five ways use Aristotelian, kind of an upgraded Aristotelian metaphysics uh, which is a philosophical way of viewing the world and causality, to show and to conclude that there must be uh, something like God existing at every moment that the universe exists. And if God uh, if God ceased to will that the universe exists at any moment, then nothing would exist. So it's called a vertical argument because it, it, it tries to prove that God must exist at every moment that the world exists. For anything to exist. So it's it's really interesting. Just to give you an idea, and like I said, I'm just trying to to familiarize, introduce you to these things. So um, it would actually take maybe two or three videos to explain Aquinas, one of Aquinas' five ways, um, which I might do in some future videos. I I am very interested in Aquinas' stuff. Um, I think philosophically, uh, these are some of the best arguments for God's existence. I love the Kalam, and I'm not saying it's it's any less powerful. it's just that um the Aquinas' five ways are interesting because they not only can show that God exists but they also are uh, are very good at showing a lot of god's attributes in my opinion a little bit better than the Kalam and others the Kalam is easier to to tell people it's it's an easier kind of street apologetic to explain to people really easily without having to explain a bunch of metaphysical uh baggage but anyways um just having all said all that here's here's um an example now this isn't obviously this isn't uh, how Aquinas worded it but this is um this is an example of how he kind of argues in his second way which is uh, the proof from causality specifically the proof from efficient causality so like I said um you might not even know what efficient causality is. Uh, it, you have to understand um, Aristotle's four causes to know what we're talking about here. Uh, Aristotle, in his um, philosophizing about the world and how it works, he argued that um, every substance has, you can, you can explain the, why it exists in, in four ways. Uh, it, there's a material causality. Efficient causality, formal causality, and final causality. Material causality is what something's made of. Efficient causality is all the processes that happened to form the thing. Okay, so you know you can think of it in several ways. One way is to think of uh, like if if a carpenter were to make a chair when the carpenter saws wood and nails things or uh, you know they might not use nails but however the carpenter's going to saw the materials and put everything together that would be the efficient cause of the chair if you think of a natural something natural you could think of like a an oak tree growing from an acorn all of those physical processes that happen to make that oak tree form would be the efficient causes okay If you see this argument, it says, In everyday experience, it is noted that there is an order of efficient causes. Nothing can be the efficient cause of itself, but the efficient cause of something cannot go to infinity. Therefore, there must be a first cause or agent that explains the order of efficient causes. Now, this probably sounds all uh, really complex, but let me just kind of explain to you what he's getting at. Um, He's talking about an order of efficient causes in, in premise one. And to give you an example of that, he actually is, uh, um, when people talk about this, they usually uh, mention a uh, an example he gives in his writings, Aquinas. He, he mentions a an, uh, an arm holding a stick moving a, a, a rock or something like that, okay? So if you're thinking about the cause for the stone moving in this uh, picture I'm showing you, uh, and if you're listening to this i'm showing a picture on my slides of a man holding a, a like like a a rod an iron rod or something like that and it's propped up against a piece of wood and and he's using some leverage to move a big boulder right well the efficient cause of the boulder moving is the rod okay and the it actually looks like a really heavy boulder so in part, uh, another part of the efficient causality is this uh, wooden block there that's giving him the leverage to move it. But also his muscles are pushing down on the rod to make the tip of it go up to, to move the boulder. Well, um, this is an order, this is something that Aquinas would call an order of efficient causes right? So what he's getting at is that the boulder is not moving itself, right? Boulders aren't things that can move themselves. So something outside itself needs to to move it. Well, that rod doesn't move itself, okay? um, And what's happening here is that this man is pushing on the rod to make the rod move the rock. Now, if anything in this... So you've got basically from his muscles to the rod... And the the wooden um, the piece of wood uh, take, has a big role in this, and um, and then that's transferring energy to the rock, right? And that's that's the order uh, of 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 the causality. Now, if you remove anything from this series, the rock is going to stop moving. Um, if you remove the the wooden block, um, he's not going to have the leverage he needs. If you remove the rod, obviously it's not going to move the rock. And if you remove the man, uh, the the rod's not going to move the rock on its own. So every single one of these things in this series needs to exist at every moment that the rock is going to move for the rock to move, right? And that's basically what Aquinas is getting at. He says that when you look in the universe, in the world, uh, you can see there's series of causality like this, and it can't go to infinity, right? If you have a series in which everything in the series relies on something above itself, it can't that can't go to infinity, because then you would just have a, a, a groundless series of things that need something outside themselves to to keep the the series going, right? So it needs to be basically grounded in something that doesn't need a cause like that, doesn't need an efficient cause of itself, um, and you and. What he does is he argues in various metaphysical ways that that cause must be like God, and and that and that's a little complex and something I can't explain in this video, but um, let me just give you an everyday example. So, uh, an order of efficient causality that you can think of right now has uh, involves um, basically the existence of yourself, okay, the existence of any human being. When you think about Not, And we're not talking about what caused you to begin to exist. We're talking about what does it take for you to exist at any moment in which you exist, okay? And when you start to think about it, you can think there's actually a big long series of things that need to happen. Each one might have a higher cause above itself. So you end up with a series, like I said, of efficient, an order of efficient causality in which everything in that series needs to exist at every moment for you to exist. Uh, so, you know, when you think about it, you can think of, um, okay, so why do I exist right now? One of the thing, one of the reasons why I exist is because of gravity, right? Uh, gravity is, is holding all my organs in place. It's, it's uh, anchoring me to the earth. It is also anchoring all this uh, air that I need to breathe to the earth. Um, there's so many other things, you know, the, the sun needs to exist to give uh, energy to the earth. I mean, you can just go on and on, but ultimately you're going to discover that the four fundamental forces of nature need to exist for you to exist at any second, right? If If the strong or weak force didn't exist, um, elements wouldn't exist and all sorts of things. We would, you know, not just human beings, but almost every uh, complex organism and just about everything would just quit coming together to form substances in the universe. And reality would be extremely far off from what we see today, but we definitely wouldn't have any human beings. We'd all be dead if you don't have these forces. But and they calls and they are causing at every minute every moment that you exist all sorts of things um that are that are needed for you to exist, and if, without those things, you wouldn't exist right so uh the gravity electromagnetism, strong force weak force, all these things are going together for example, to make the sun keep burning, and every t- and as long as the sun keeps burning this the earth keeps getting uh the energy it needs to keep us alive, and so on and so forth. Uh, but you can't just stop at the four fundamental forces um, for various reasons. Um, I'm not a scientist, but I've read that, you know, they think that maybe these are partly forces, partly particles. Uh, So, but the, but these things aren't things that, that cause themselves to move and and exist. So um, metaphysically, you would say that there needs to be another step beyond that, but ultimately you know, and maybe you could posit all sorts of other physical things in a multiverse or something outside our universe that maybe causes these four fundamental forces, but ultimately you're going to need to arrive at something that doesn't need an efficient cause of itself. And Aquinas argues that 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 is going to be like God. So interesting. Uh, and maybe I've confused you more than I've explained it, but. Um, after this series is over, maybe I can go into more complex philosophical arguments for God's existence, like Aquinas' Five Ways. But for now, I just have to kind of leave it there. But one of the main differences and, and one of the interesting things about Al Ghazali's Kalam and Aquinas's Five Ways is that, you know, Al Ghazali argues that God exists because there was a beginning to the universe. Aquinas says, I don't even, he's, he's Aquinas isn't even worried about whether the universe began. Uh, he argues that God must exist at every moment uh, and be willing the universe to exist, or nothing would exist at all except for God. Um, but yeah, just to move on, let's talk about uh, Gottfried Leibniz argument really quickly. And then um, and then yeah, that'll basically be the last thing we'll talk about just to introduce you to these types of arguments. So Gottfried Leibniz is a German Lutheran philosopher, mathematician, political advisor. He's uh, very famous for his work in metaphysics and natural theology. Natural theology is whenever you are using philosophy to, to argue that God exists and, and that he has uh, certain attributes. But if you've ever heard of people arguing over whether uh, the world we live in is the best possible world, um, that would be something that uh, Leibniz is famous for, for, for talking about and arguing. Well, um, one thing he is famous for is his cosmological argument, uh, sometimes called like a Leibnizian um, contingency argument, or I think I've even heard it just called the contingency argument. But anyways, here's, here's uh, an example of his argument. So it's got uh, four premises and a conclusion. One says, anything that exists has an explanation of its existence, either in the necessity of its own nature or or in an external cause, two, if the universe has an explanation of its existence, that explanation is God, three, the universe exists, four, therefore the universe has an explanation of its existence, five, therefore the explanation of the existence of the universe is God. So um, just to briefly explain this argument and and how it's kind of defended, really uh, premise four and five are well, 4 is kind of more like a conclusion, uh, and so is 5. They both basically logically follow from premises 1 through 3, and then 5 follows from everything uh, through 4. So, if you were to defend this argument, you really just need to spend your time defending premises 1, 2, and 3. Now, premise 1 says anything that exists has an explanation of its existence, either in the necessity of its own nature or an external cause. Uh, this is basically a, a statement of something Leibniz is famous for. He coined the phrase "principle of sufficient reason." Okay, that's what premise one is basically stating, um, and and here you'll see the definition of principle of sufficient reason from Grotius' Doug Grotice's, uh Christian Apologetics says. Uh, coined by Leibniz roughly the idea that for any positive state of affairs there's an adequate explanation for why that state of affairs exists. Another way you can put this and I've, I've got this from William Lane Craig in his book Reasonable Faith. Any, uh, this is just another way to, to define the principle of sufficient reason. Anything that exists has an explanation of its existence either in the necessity of its own nature or in an external cause. And I just want you guys to know um, the principle of sufficient reason in philosophy has been debated a lot. A lot of theists have argued that it is a thing, obviously over the centuries, and there's been a lot of people who have pushed back, arguing that the principle of sufficient reason isn't defensible. Um, I think it's pretty common sense uh, myself, um, you know. Just just to throw that out there, uh, what it's saying is. And I like William Lane Craig's way of putting it here. If something exists, it either... Everything that exists has an explanation for why it exists. And and what it's, this principle is saying is that there's one of two things. Either something caused something to exist, right? Or something just exists because of what it is. The explanation for its existence is just its own nature. So you either have... Uh, an external cause. You're either something that's an extern that needs an external cause, or you're something that j- just exists of its own accord. Now that might sound crazy. Uh, you might. Some people might hear the principle of sufficient reason and say, "Well, that seems to be begging the question for God." It's just basically saying there's two things: things that are God and things that aren't God. And if you're not God, then you're something that needs to have been created by God. But that's not necessarily the case. In the history of philosophy, there's actually been many things that philosophers believe just exist of their own nature. Um, And to give you just a really uh, brief list, um, for example, abstract, excuse me, abstract objects are some things that uh, philosophers believe just exist of their own nature. Things like numbers, sets, and other uh, mathematical objects. Um, I mean, there's a debate on whether these – in philosophy, you find this debate over universals and, and other things. Some people think that maybe abstract objects are, don't exist at all. They're just labels or for, for things. And, and some people think they actually exist somewhere in reality outside of our minds. But apart from that, just know that that besides God, now theists have argued for over thousands of years that God is this thing that just exists because of what he is. He didn't begin. He doesn't have an external cause. But there's also other things like numbers that some philosophers believe those things exist just because of what they are. And, And, you know, when you think about it, hold two things up in front of your face. So I've got a phone and a pen in front of me. When I hold these two things up, I don't think I've just created the number two. Um, I think uh, that I am abstracting the concept number two, abstracting the understanding of what number uh, what two things are whenever I look at those, but I don't think I've created that. And if you think about it, you, you can start getting into that philosophical question of what are numbers? Do they exist somewhere? Is it just a concept? But either way, some philosophers do believe that numbers are these things that just exist uh, because of their own nature. So there's more to it than than just God. But yeah, um, really, I, you know, personally, especially if you're just out on the street, maybe not writing a a professional, you know, journal article, if you're going to talk to somebody on the street, you say, you know, there seems to be two ways about it, either you um, have a cause for your existence outside of yourself or because of your own nature like you know what there doesn't seem to be a middle ground so um so premise one seems to be pretty solid right uh if you if you need a you know and and you kind of going back to the kalam if you think about it if something began to exist it would definitely be something that's contingent something that needs a cause outside of itself right because if you don't exist, and then you exist, that means you began, right? But if you began, that means that at one time you didn't exist. So how could you, if you didn't exist at one time, how could you cause yourself to exist? So if you began, you definitely are a contingent thing that needs an external cause. Um, but anyways, um, so um, uh, then Leibniz says if the, in premise two, if the universe has an explanation of its existence, that explanation is God. God. Uh, we can talk about that here in a second. Three, the universe exists. Four, therefore, the universe has an explanation of its existence. Five, therefore, the explanation of the existence of the universe is God. And um, like I said, it's a lot more complex than what I can explain really quickly. But, um, you know, Leibniz and and others who have defended this basically point out that uh, there's, there's nothing about the universe that seems to suggest that either the universe as a whole or it's, or any of its parts, um, that, cr- that make up the universe are just necessarily existing things. You know, if you, you think about it, you know, I, I think a lot of us think uh, that, that came out of the public school system, you know, maybe you didn't go to a classical school and learn about Aristotle's four causes, Maybe if you if you come out of like a public school like I did, I used to think of the world mainly in terms of um, of uh, fundamental particles interacting uh, with each other according to natural laws, right? Um, physical laws. Now, when you think of all these fundamental particles, uh, scientists and and philosophers will tell you there's nothing about these these fundamental particles in our universe that suggests that they must exist you know you've got laws like the law of conservation of energy and and all those things but there's nothing that says that these fundamental particles must exist in the way that they do in the abundance that they do and with the movements that they do there's nothing necessary about them uh that you know what i'm saying like when i say the number two is is just a non-contingent necessary thing like two is unchanging and it's, and it's this thing that just exists, right? Well, uh, fundamental particles are not like that. The universe could have been any different number of ways. And there's nothing that says there had to be all these fundamental particles and existing in this exact way, moving in these exact ways. So when you think of what comprises the universe, everything looks contingent. So it basically points to the fact that there needs to be this external cause to the universe, okay? Okay. And uh, Leibniz would argue that that's God. And that's what I wanted to touch on, okay? Maybe it was apparent, maybe it wasn't while we were talking about these cosmological arguments. But um, all of these, the philosophers that have defended all of these, the theists that defend these arguments, are... Um, the conclusions might look very uninteresting, or, or like, okay, so the there's a cause to the universe, but how how do you get from there to God? You'll definitely see how this works when we talk about the kalam in our next session, okay? But just really quickly, just to talk about it, um, the whenever you talk about the cause of the universe, you know, when we speak of the universe, uh, it basically means like all, you know, there's different definitions, you could define it different ways, but the theist usually means all of time and space, right? And um, if if all of time and space had a cause for it to begin, that cause can't be in space and made of stuff uh, that had a beginning, and it can't even be in time, right? Because if it is made of stuff that's in the universe and that didn't exist at one time, then it would just be a part of the universe, Uh, right? If If it was in time, then it would just be a part of the series that needed a beginning. So usually these arguments are pointing to some cause outside the universe that is not in space, not in time. And it, it needs to be powerful enough to cause and sustain the universe, and it needs to be personal to, to run the universe according to laws and according to these goals that it has. So uh, that might not convince you right now, but you will definitely see in the next session how this works, specifically with the Kalam argument. Um, and that's what co- uh, cosmological arguments are all about. Using philosophy, using logical reasoning to point out things in the universe, and basically point to some cause that needs to be there outside the universe; otherwise, nothing, none of this should exist. So that's what cosmological arguments are doing. And I, you know, just want to really briefly point back out how old these are. Uh, you know, Al is talking about this in medieval times. Aquinas is using arguments that he um, adopted a lot of the thinking in these arguments goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks. Uh, and then, you know, Leibniz is in modern times. So these are very old arguments that, uh, theists have been using to argue that God exists for, for hundreds, thousands of years. So, um, so it's really interesting, especially in our culture where people think that you just, if you're going to believe that God exists, you just have to take it on faith against all the evidence. The interesting thing is, uh, the theist will tell you that the entire universe is evidence that God exists, and that you can believe that God exists for for rational reasons, Um, and actually it's it's more irrational, it's more unreasonable to believe that everything is here for no reason, Uh, so anyways... I'm really excited. If you haven't heard of the Kalam, if you haven't heard how it's defended before, you're really going to love the next session. But here's our questions for reflection again. So hopefully you've you've thought of the answers to some of these. Um, I'll just give you just, you know, repeat them again like we've been doing. So the first one was, have you ever thought of the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Um, and, and, you know, if you have, you know, talk about it, talk about it, uh, think about it a little bit more. Why is there something rather than nothing? Uh, could could all this just be here for no reason? Uh, the second question was, do you think it is reasonable to believe the universe lacks an external cause? Why or why not? Maybe some of these arguments gave you some things to think about, but um, if everything in the universe were contingent, if it's not necessarily existing, then uh, doesn't that seem to make it unreasonable to believe that there's, there's not something outside the universe causing all this right now, not, something that's not contingent itself? And the last one was, do cosmological arguments assume or state that everything has a cause? I, I hope that you saw throughout all that. Now, the principle of sufficient reason does state that everything has an explanation. It doesn't say that everything has a cause. And the Kalam doesn't say that everything has a cause. It just says that if something began to exist, it has a cause. But anyways, we'll talk about more about that question in the next session. I wanted to leave you with a Frank Turek quote. Um, this is from frank turk's book stealing from god why atheists need god to make their case page twenty six he says this created and fine-tuned universe along with the orderly cause and effect nature of reality are best explained by an intelligent being with attributes remarkably congruent to the god of the bible like i said you'll be seeing how cosmological arguments point to a lot of god's attributes in the next video but as always, I wanted to give a quick plug for my, my seminary, Southern Evangelical Seminary, where I was uh, trained in apologetics and philosophy. Um, you know, As I've talked about in other videos, they have all sorts of degrees available for you if you're interested more in apologetics and theology and philosophy and how to integrate all three. I have been forgetting to mention SES actually has a free resource if you would, if you are interested. If you go to ses.edu, hover over the media um, button or link, whatever you want to call it, you can go down to this menu, and they, they have this free resource. It's a, it's, a, it's a PDF book, Why Trust the God of the Bible, and you can download it for free. Uh, it's, it's not very long, but they kind of run you through something similar to what I'm talking about. The three-step apologetic method. Um, it's just in a little bit of a different order, but it talks about all those things. It's a free resource. There's a, there's a, a handful of appendices as well. Um, there's a methodology, the problem of evil, Uh, other things like that but it's about you know 30 40 pages and it's it's free free to download if you're interested in that free resource from SES. also uh, as always just wanted to throw a quick shout out uh, to kingdom preparatory academy this is the uh, classical school where my kids go here in lubbock texas it is an is an awesome school obviously i wouldn't send my kids there if it wasn't Uh, but it is a classical option and a A very reasonably priced option at that as far as uh, private education goes. It's here in Lubbock, Texas, Kingdom Preparatory Academy. Uh, They go all the way from pre-K to high school uh, through senior year. And it's a university uh, model, so your kids actually only go to school uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday usually. And uh, Tuesday and Thursday are days where they would stay home. But if you are interested in that, you can go to uh, Google Kingdom Preparatory Academy, check out their website, uh, shoot me a message if you have any questions. But um, I hope you guys enjoyed this, and I look forward to talking about the Kalam argument in our next session. And I hope you have a great week.